talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal White Yes, homie? That's it! You people have stood in my way long enough! I'm going to clown college! Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of More Like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2022, we look back on Aaron Sorkin's, well, formerly Aaron Sorkin's at this point, seminal project, The West Wing, from a bit more leftist socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. Today's episode is, as you will be repeatedly reminded while watching, called In the Room. In the Room, which they've they've taken to title dropping the episode titles more often lately but this is a particularly egregious example as we hear it at least five times yes from multiple characters we are reminded that they must be in the room we must be in the room and the titular room is the room in china where their big diplomatic su- uh summit is happening nice continuity from previous episodes but before we get all to that Stu, tell us about zoe's birthday party <laughs> that kicks off the beginning of the episode Speaking of another room that we can be in, yes, they Zoe do talk has about being party. in that room too with the in the room phrase. Yep. Yeah, Zoe has a birthday party at the White House for whatever reason, because that's theoretically nominally where she lives with her parents. If she wasn't like, is she like twenty four? She's a. I thought she was in college now, still, or she's out I, of college. I guess at this point, yeah, because Charlie. Yeah, she gra- graduated. Anyway. Is she in grad school? Who knows? Anyway, yeah, she Who lives knows? at the anyway. White House when it's convenient for the writers. <laughs> Yeah, and we, uh, we, the writers are really leaning hard on the old guest stars because (laughs) the special entertainment for Zoe's birthday party are the magician duo Penn and Teller. Does everybody remember Penn and Teller? Remember remember Penn and Teller, everyone? Yeah, this is probably at the peak of their, uh, fame right before they start making the bullshit show. Uh, they're the peak of their magician fame, I should say. Um, yeah, before they start the, going down the weird libertarian. Correct. Like, yeah, this is the peak of their like road. Vegas magician fame uh, arc, as it were. So yeah, they're doing a great show and they're doing some tricks and stuff like that. And then uh, Zoe's like, "One more trick, one more trick." And she and Penn's like, "God, you are just spoiled rotten." Uh, but then they do one more trick where uh, they vanish a uh, American flag with this whole. In fact, put the little clip in where he talks about the Bill of Rights. It's very West Wing. Instead of using that meaningless piece of construction paper, we were to use a piece of paper that means more to us than any other piece of paper in the world. The Bill of Rights. The first ten amendments of the Constitution. Including my favorite amendment, the First Amendment. It's the one that guarantees not just everybody in this room, but every single person in the United States, every citizen, every visitor, every... Magician, freedom of speech, is the one that says if we want to add a little bit of uh, spontaneous combustion to our simple vanish, we can do that. I think yeah, so it's, they've... it's actually quite clever, uh, I'll say, if you're no, like I... at, at the White House to do a bit like this. It's, it's you know, it's it's well thought. It's intellectual. It's it's There's a little something there to chew on. 
Yeah, instead of just doing like your normal kid birthday party routine, which obviously, I mean, these guys are way outclassed from that anyway, but like, you know, kick it up a notch, be a right. little controversial, like get your next, get your next deal in Vegas yeah. and because yeah. you, because you did this trick. Yeah. In the fictional West Wing universe, they would get so much publicity from something like this. Uh, but yeah, obviously, uh, who's in the, who is quote unquote in the room, uh, staffer wise, I think it's Josh and Toby and someone yes. else i think i think uh, almost everybody because they they, they call all, the president out yeah. and yeah. like cj takes him out but like yeah so they all the, freak the fuck out in the room which, <laughs> the, the second after it happens i it's just so like forced the reaction to it you, you watch them do it and you know what's going to happen you you watch them do this thing and you know what's about to happen because this is what they do so first of all this segment is quite long the cold open is the the pacing on this is quite long but it gives Penn this chance to go on the soliloquy that we just you know played here but you have this beat at the end of it where Josh and Toby it seems like they're just struck immediately right. like oh my god he right. said he burned a flag in like, the White House. It's like, like they weren't telegraphing did, it five minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't you know exactly where this was leading? Like, like you could you could have had an intern run up there and be like, uh, make like the cut gesture <laughs> across his throat and be like, wrap it up, boys. Yeah. You know? Shut it down. Shut her down. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, they just like let it play out, and then I'm like, super shocked at the end. Uh, and as a great point happens later on, let's just continue on the pen and teller subplot. Yeah, sure. so obvi- yeah. Obviously, the beca- this becomes a quote unquote huge PR nightmare uh, for the White House, where like, oh my God, they burned a flag in the White House, which is how everyone takes it. Although the the kid in me who grew up loving magic and learned a lot about magic and stuff would like to be the pedantic who points out that they did not indeed burn a flag. The flag was gone before the fire enters the equation. That's how magic <laughs> yes. works. Yes, like I promise. Like, if they burn the flag, the flag, there would be ashes and like fucking or remains like of it. Plastic. Like all pouring <laughs> yeah. out of the tube. Like <laughs> the flag was long gone before the fire ever came near the equation. I know how magic works. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, but of course the, the quote unquote optics of it, which is, this is a very liberal thing to be more concerned about the optics of a situation than the actual situation itself. Because uh, later on when they're talking about this, Charlie brings up like, well, they didn't even burn the flag, did they? And Penn's like, that's right, Charlie. Maybe we just vanished it and then used a little bit of magic kindling paper to make a flare effect. And it's like, yes, that's exactly what they did. And no one should be freaking out about it. I'm not going to tell you how I did the trick, but I can promise you that, like, I didn't actually light anything on fire. Right, right. <laughs> but I will give Penn credit. Like, he, he he refuses to do this out of, one, like, sort of the quote-unquote magician's code of not revealing how the trick is done. But, two, you can tell he's also doing it just to vex Josh in the, oh, in the scene. Sure. So, as I wrote in my notes for the scene where Josh confronts Penn and Teller, and honestly, just put the whole clip of that scene in here, too, because it's wonderful. You tell me, Charlie, did we burn a flag or did we just banish a flag in a patriotic flash of fireworks? Don't know. What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference politically. Why? I mean, what if we burned a flag not in protest, but in celebration of the very freedoms that allow us to burn a flag? The freedoms that everyone who has ever worked in this magnificent building has pledged to preserve and protect. 
Did you go to law school? No. Clown school. <laughs> and it's yeah. just it's it's fantastic. Like this feels like something out of the Sorkin era. I have no issues with the scene. The scene is perfect and is like how all scenes on West Wing should go in my ideal mind palace kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and if and the thing is you can tell that I actually, I actually kind of like this because Penn and Teller don't have to act mm-hmm. in in this. Like, yeah, they Penn just is just go being in they, Penn, and they, basically. Yeah, he he reacts to Josh, and it's very it makes the scene very authentic because he reacts to Josh in the way that everybody thinks he will because right. that's just the way he is. And frankly, if I'm him, I'm just staring at Josh, going nerd, <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Hey, like, hey, did you, honey, you? did you get a little low of the nerd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah. So the the reason uh, the reason in the arc that this is brought up and they have Penn and Teller oh so conveniently burn a flag in the White House is to prop up Bingo Bob's yeah. credentials for the primary. Ultimately, that does end up being the purpose of it because, of course, the actual... Well, no, no. It has a twofold purpose. It also... Uh, shows how Vinnick is a good guy when he doesn't want to go after the story. He doesn't want to, like, hold a congressional investigation on Zoe's birthday party because he's like, it's a kid's birthday party. Who cares? And this is supposed to be our signal that he's, like, a good Republican, you know? So, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's twofold, but it doesn't actually erupt into the actual, quote-unquote, PR nightmare, really, in any way, other than internally. No, internally, everybody's fucking flipping their shit because they're worried about it happening. And then turns out, wow, like if if the political class isn't prompting the people to take something seriously, nobody gives a fucking shit about burning a flag. Who gives a shit? I need to feed my kids. I need to go to work. I need to put gas in my car. Like, so what? I and. The whole issue... It also gets uh, 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 pushed out of the media by the fact that Vinnick announces for president like t- yeah, 10 no hours shit. later. <laughs> so obviously so, that's the story of the day. <laughs> the the Bingo Bob mm-hmm, side mm-hmm. of this, like they're yeah. kind of... And this oh my ties God. into Let's a little bit. Let's get into this, yes. <laughs> so Bingo Bob, for some reason, decides has to quote, make this and his I think, thing. <laughs> yeah. It literally, he literally has a line that says, like, the American people have always known that I'm strongly against flag burning. Right. He goes, most people don't know who I am, but of the people who do know me, they know I'm anti-flag burning. <laughs> yeah. So it's important it seems to like keep... seems like a great that, issue to run on. Yeah, it's important to keep this hot button issue that is so near and dear to the hearts of so many Americans uh, firmly in the Bob Russell is anti-flag burning camp you know (laughs) and so like we have this really contrived ginned up way to sort of try to keep him relevant as he's going through the thing and basically it had me wondering initially and emma and i talked through this and i put some notes in about it because we we've seen and i think we've remarked on it in a couple of our past episodes that we see a lot of will bailey for reasons that are opaque Hmm. at best yeah like we see a lot of will bailey he gets a lot of lines and so when em and i was talking about this a we basically it's he is taking on the role of making sure bob russell remains relevant to create the tension with that role because i think they didn't have access to gary cole correct plus 
they hadn't bothered or done the legwork to set up Bob Russell as like a real character, multi-dimensional character <laughs> yes. in the past. Yeah, I think you nailed so, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the writers need to include somebody down that line, and basically they have Josh Molina who's doing on contract, nothing. and they right. don't have Gary Cole. Exactly. So okay, great. Like, and it works to that degree in that somebody has to do it. It's just occasionally he just pops up out of nowhere and like, well, I. I don't give a shit about you, man. Like, nothing is going on right now. <laughs> he also, in this episode, tries to recruit Josh to run Bingo Bob's campaign, and Josh is just, like, completely not having it. Like, oh, yeah, well, and there's just like, eh. The, the back and forth between the two of them also, conveniently at the time, highlights the fact that um, Governor Baker, yes. the nominal third, like, primary Democrat person his campaign is being run by bruno gianelli fucking the bruno. fucking big dog he got bruno yeah like game over yeah game over baker's gonna win <laughs> uh except unfortunately we learned later in the episode that baker is not going to win because <laughs> baker decides to not even run in the first place <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. I wrote here he doesn't even panders his way through the primary no, fuck you nope i don't know like i mean it just we we didn't have any depth to his no, we either. we he got introduced kind of a... to him one episode ago. You know, he's he was yeah. a Pennsylvania yeah. governor, and he you know he seems nice. That like that's all we know about him. <laughs> like, well, and it's I just find it fascinating that like they they drop the Bruno bomb uh-huh. here, and then it doesn't matter no. anymore. Like within the space of like eight minutes. Yeah, like ten <laughs> minutes later in the episode, they're have they're cutting to the news announcement of Baker dropping out, which he he's like chides a reporter. He's like, well, technically I haven't dropped out. I just didn't run at all, <laughs> <laughs> which is so West Wing. <laughs> you can't say I quit if I didn't even try. <laughs> so the Emma, Emma mentions that like this also um, sets up the fact that Bruno is now like in the wind. Yeah, a free agent. Yeah. As it stands, he's and and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, down the road he works for Vinick. Uh, I, you might be right about that. Yeah, I think as, you know. And then like they have some big moment where they're like, "How can you do this? Don't you like Democrats?" And he's like, "I like whoever pays my checks." Like, pays me, yeah, yeah, exactly. Will you? I'm a I'm a mercenary. Pay me two million dollars. Yeah, yeah I'm do whatever you and want. Then, I think he has like some private comments about like, yeah, sure, maybe I prefer Democrats, but. This is my job. I don't care. Uh, yeah, so it sort of sets up... But yeah. the, the the first half of the episode is busy setting up sort of the Democratic side of the primary. And then we get... Which we'll take a brief break before we go in on this. Yes. We get the big reveal of Arnold who, Vinick, killer campaigner. Senator Arnold Vinick and who plays him. And we'll talk about that after this break. And 
and welcome back. So, as we were saying before the break, uh, we pick up at the end of the episode. We, we've heard Vinick's name a few times, but we finally get the big reveal. Josh walks into his office, and there's a man shining his own shoes. And who is that man but Alan fucking Aldo? Bow, 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 bow. Bow. Big star power. Big, big star power here. And he does a great job. He's super charismatic in the role and everything. I have no negative notes about Alan yeah. Alda's performance in the show. He was, I mean, if if I was my age now, I'm almost 38 years old, and I was watching this show in 2005, I would have grown up with MASH on television, like with my parents watching it. And I'd watch, I, mean, I did. Shit, I, yeah. I grew up watching reruns with my mom and dad Yep. of uh, MASH yep. on television. My dad would fall asleep to MASH on the couch yep. all the time. Yep. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. Like Sunday evenings <laughs> after Star Trek or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's... Watch, it, watch a couple episodes of MASH, laugh through the first one, sleep through the second one. <laughs> and he's kind of like, you know, he's got the elder statesman actor uh, totally. gravitas about him, but he's also just incredibly charismatic like he keeps it light he keeps it fresh he, he's got like you you're know, like you're like he's a republican yeah no no shit <laughs> you know? right and so yeah the there has been as we mentioned before like leo gets in on how good a campaigner is like Ar- arnold vinnick like he's just like mm-hmm. he will mm-hmm. he will campaign the shit out of you. He will run laps yeah. around your bullshit, yep. you know, fifty state strategy he'll, or whatever. He'll, he'll go into those high school gymnasiums and he'll shake every hand and kiss every baby <laughs> yeah. and leave them fucking like just wet in their panties. Like, oh my god, I can't <laughs> wait to vote for Vinick. Holy shit, I'm gonna <laughs> vote so many times. So this is, and we get a very long dialogue between Josh and Arnold Vinnick while he's sitting there and basically being like, at the end of it, I think, what is he trying to do? He's trying to swing his vote on something. No, Josh is trying to recruit Vinnick to become a uh, oh, UN President. ambassador. Oh, the ambassador, yes. No, yes. U- U- UN ambassador, uh, which uh, Bartlett is reaching out as a fig leaf, A, to incre- increase bipartisanship, and B, to effectively preempt what Vinnick is about to do, which is run for president. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you get a great line from uh, Alan yes. Aldo where he says, well, yeah, the, the like president this. can't give me the job that I want. And Josh says, well, the hell are you talking about? He says, it's his job. Like, I want his. So yeah. and Josh's like, yeah, oh my god, when are you announcing? Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh immediately goes into panic mode five, yeah. uh, Defcon, Defcon one, panic mode, and um, yeah, v- Vinick he does this whole like faux folksy thing of like no one shines their own shoes anymore or whatever. Like I can see why Leo loves this guy. That's yes. a very Leo thing. <laughs> well, and it's, it's a very West wing thing too. I, I wrote up like a lot of words about this where it's just like, so we are led to believe that this is the folksy everyman energy we have mm-hmm. from Alan Alda because he cares deeply about what is nominally a manual labor sort of thing. Right. Like, Oh, Some, something one does with one's hands. Yes. Exactly. Exa- and, but at the same time, that particular activity is is so classically <laughs> a rich person affectation. Like, what? Right? Who? Who fucking like? I'm not gonna care about my shoes being shined. They're gonna go get covered in right. like oil at the at the mechanic shop. They're gonna get fucking covered well, in dust on the farm. Appro- appropriately enough, uh, when he looks at Josh's shoes, he's like, "When's the last time you shined yours?" And he's like, "Wait a minute, 
has anyone shined your shoes? And it's like, yeah, because Josh doesn't give a fuck about that. <laughs> like, even even the highfalutin like, even Democratic sta- yeah, <laughs> staffers are like, yeah. well, what the hell are you talking about, man? Like, why would I? Like, who, like even even Josh, Mr. like owns a building in D.C. and, and yeah. <laughs> is clearly co- came from money and whatever, is like, who fucking shines shoes anymore? Jesus. Well, and it's, it's also, there's a little bit of a sop because specifically and i think this is quite unintentional but reverberates with me the fact that alan alda is known from playing in a military role shining shoes mm. is a very our troops thing like sure yeah. like like bed making and like yeah yeah you know being spick span exactly for inspection kind of thing you are meticulous yeah. you have attention to detail you care for your things which don't get me wrong is fine i have a couple pairs of boots that i wear around that i keep wax because it makes them last 30 years like i'm not doing it to impress Precisely. something it's caring for your equipment in a way yeah it's it, yeah it's that he puts this weird moral yeah exactly fucking dimension on it where like it, the fact that he shines his own shoes makes him a better person than josh <laughs> yeah. or something stupid like that yeah it's fine to take pride in the fact that like hey I, I maintain my own shoes and i do quite a good job at it but like he adds a whole moral dimension to it that's completely unnecessary well, it's, and it's also reinforced by the fact that and this is me being getting on a high horse about it he pushes a thing of polish at josh and says you're gonna need cordovan for those and i'm sorry writers putting words in a senator's mouth cordovan is a material not a color or a polish so get your heads out of your asses and no cordovan is from horse regular leather is from cow dropping random references in before the internet was widespread must have been such a minefield so easy you know? to like, so easy to like nobody's like, gonna look this up yeah yeah also that yeah who's gonna call you yeah. on it? <laughs> you they probably get like one crank letter a week for at like the nbc po box or whatever i'm like i'm a shoe shiner and i know that <laughs> yeah going through the fan mail i am not a crackpot <laughs> yeah so um vinick is he he announces like we get a tv clip of him announcing his uh, his campaign officially and then it's sort of just like we get the moment with leo where he's worried about him and you said here <laughs> josh has very big trump can't win the nomination energy yeah oh <laughs> totally he's he's like constantly just being like no vinick can't win it no he uh, like abortion you know there's the abortion issue and leo's like yeah he's fine you know he's against late-term abortion that's probably good enough and josh is just like no 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 there's zero chance he wins the republican nomination and no he's not like, gonna happen but but if they win if the republicans win california the the electoral right. college oh yeah Right, so this leads to the most bizarro electoral map when we finally get there, because yes, Vinick will win California and Santos will win Texas. So we will have red California uh, and blue Texas. The most West Wing fantasy possible. My God. <laughs> Both of them, Both yes. of them flipping <laughs> bipartisanly. <laughs> So yeah, we'll we'll look forward to that when we actually get into breaking down the fictitious election results when when they happen. But yeah, so Vinick is set up to be a very strong opponent, uh, and at the same time, now Baker has dropped out, thus leaving only uh, Bingo Bob and Hoynes, and obviously the viewers know Santos as uh, potential primary candidates to oppose the great strong Republican. Uh, the viewers do not know Santos at this point. 
Uh, I mean, the viewers don't know he's a primary opponent, but like you said, if you know who Jimmy Smith is oh, and how true. they're focusing on him, like you could put two and two together yeah, at this I'm point sure. and, and and probably think that Jimmy Smith will be running for president. Uh, but yeah, you don't know at this point. You just think it's Hoynes and Russell versus Vinnick. Uh, ver- and Vinnick technically has Republican primary opponents to deal with, but none of them end up mattering. I don't even think we see any. Well, I think they it, just might refer to them with names. It actually makes it a, a, a tidy turning point here because if you are viewing this in a vacuum, we've watched, we've just watched Bingo Bob, the nominally strongest successor to the Bartlett administration, stake his entire candidacy on fucking flag burning. Yeah. And, and Hoynes is a disgraced philanderer. So with Vinick Correct. coming in on the other side, they're just like, oh, like now we're Uh-oh. fucked. Like this is, yeah, this is like, no way to be in shape. Going into primary right. season. We were, we were in shape to beat some sort of Republican joke, yeah. you know, that, that we assumed that they were going to come up with. We're not ready to deal with, like, a real good Republican who's good at campaigning kind of thing. So, yeah, it, 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 it quite successfully sets the stakes uh, dramatically for our election arc to come. Yep. So, yeah, let's take another break and we can dig in on the uh, China stuff. <laughs> So the main political conceit in this episode is the diplomatic trip to China, where the Bartlett administration will be meeting with President Wang's. <laughs> no, that's the that's the Korean president. President President Wang's the Korean president that they talk about a- oh. after, because like someone launches a missile in like the South China Sea or something, and Korea is freaking out about it, something like that. Oh, I messed that up. Yeah, oh, I thought it was... No, the Chinese president, I forget his fic- fictitious name in the episode. I'll look it up real quick. Oh, okay, you... I just saw your note and chuckled Yeah, about no, they do <laughs> mention a President Wang, but he's like Korea's President Wang or something. But okay. yes, still, LOL, President Wang. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're... Uh... Basically, they're, they're kind of like setting the stakes and figuring out what the important issues are going to be that they sit down and talk over at this summit. And the first thing they bring up is that China is killing us with their importing of shrimp. Yes, they're killing us on the shrimp market. Cheap Chinese shrimp is, is flooding our shores. Uh, and so they actually stop in the in uh, Air Force One. They stop at New Orleans to talk to like a shrimpers association, you know, um, gathering meeting or dinner or something like that and Bartlett speaks and he's like I'm gonna do good for you guys I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to China and we're gonna cut back on the cheap imported Chinese shrimp so you guys can sell more of your good American New Orleans shrimp and presumably they cheered a whole bunch this all happens off screen and then they go back yes. in, <laughs> they go back in the plane and uh Bartlett's advisors are like and so Bartlett's like all right great so what are we gonna do with China and the shrimp he's like well you're gonna bring it up and you're, you'll, we'll discuss it, and nothing will really happen. And he's like, but I just promised all those guys in New Orleans I would do something about the <laughs> shrimp. And they're like, mm, actually, Mr. President, you can't really do anything. <laughs> well, and there's a bunch more patriarchal bullshit about... And 
I just like the the inner economist comes out of President Bartland here where he's just like, well, well, doesn't China understand that North Korea is their most important foreign policy? Like, honestly, Mr. President, perhaps you should take a beat and understand that there are other foreign leaders who are capable of forming their own thoughts about countries that they share borders with. Yeah. My dude. It's very funny to see this chauvinism stuff now in the wake of COVID when the new Chinese oh, sure. the new Chinese century is upon us and and China's dominance is basically assured on the global stage because they didn't mangle the coronavirus outbreak. And and honestly, it's been so long now. I was just like, "Well, what do you mean Gulf Shrimp? Didn't Deepwater Horizon?" No, right. I was like, "This is five years before the before, big oil spill." Correct. Holy shit! Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's interesting because they mentioned in the show that, in uh, according to their fake numbers, China's shrimp accounted for like twenty five percent of like the total shrimp market. And uh, I think Bartlett asked the immediate follow up question of like, well, can we make up if we just like, you know, ban Chinese shrimp? And they're like, no, we cannot make up that kind of production anyway. (laughs) That is too much shrimp, sir. So you can't really do anything about it. A a lot of telling the president he can't do anything, um, rendering him politically impotent, which is interesting because he will also be uh, rendered physically uh, impotent in a sense relatively soon. So here on Air Force One. Bartlett has done a couple of, uh, quote-unquote, clever things. Uh, One, he finagled a reason to get the Surgeon General, uh, Millie, who we've seen before. We saw her in the marijuana episode where she said, like, you know what? We should legalize marijuana, and the White House freaked the fuck out. Um, So he he makes some sort of excuse to be like, hey, Millie, I want to talk with you about China's health policy about blah 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 or whatever and get on the plane with me and she's like okay and then like halfway through the flight um uh cj notices he hasn't eaten his meal and he's like nah i'm just not hungry hey do me a favor send the surgeon general in will you and then uh he when he's was the second he's alone with her he's like hey millie and they do a little small talk and she's like you're not here for small talk he's like no i can't move either of my hands it's it's bad (laughs) Uh, i'm having a big ms i'm having a big ms flare up and then and she's just like well do you want me to get the flight doctor he's like no i want you to feed me like i'm a child (laughs) slightly strange and she just has to feed him and uh and and because his ms has flared up in a way and he knew which is why he arranged for millie to be on which the flight why he, yeah uh yeah. He, he could sense it was coming like he was having uh they cut to earlier and he was having difficulty signing documents or something like that and he goes ah eh, these can wait um and he says he's had it before in one hand or the other hand but never in both hands uh, and then, like, even just a few minutes later, with zero treatment, one of his hands is good again, all of a sudden. But also, he can't walk. Like, everything below yeah, the waist. Like he's, he's progressed to, like, paraplegic yeah. status. Yeah, and so... Uh, he, the, immediately this sparks a huge debate with CJ and Toby and a couple other people who are on Air Force One about, okay, well, we got to turn around, you know, we got to get you back to like a hospital and, you know, we're canceling the summit, you know, don't worry about all that. And Bartlett just goes like full stubborn and is like, no, 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 we are having the summit. FDR was in a wheelchair. The American people can get used to it, uh, which, it was a different time back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the the globalized economy and the whole biggest military in the world 
thing probably leads a lot of people to not give a shit, like, about the physical appearance yeah. of your head of state. We've got a lot more sticks to shake at people these days. Yeah, also, forgive me if I'm wrong, but uh, FDR didn't first campaign when he was in a wheelchair, right? That happened later on. Like, he could yes, walk correct. when he first campaigned. Yeah. Yeah, yes. the, like, it sucks that America is ableist in our way, in so many ways, but, uh, yeah, the pres- wanting the president to be able to walk around is actually a pretty reasonable concern, because if your president can't walk, uh, then he needs medical attention. Yeah, I think, uh, and I'll, I'll walk it back a little bit, I, I agree that, like, it is a bad thing that we are risking the health of this man. Yeah. Like, just constantly yeah. throughout this for, thing. For overwork. For, like, West Wing Protestant work yeah. ethic bullshit reasons of, of, like, no, 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 we can't just cancel a summit and have it a month later. That doesn't happen all the fucking time. Yeah, but I, st- I still think there's a lot. It's a very, again, sort of like a chauvinist take to be like, well, can't have the summit if the president can't stand up. Right. Like, He's got to be able to look China's president in the yeah, eye exactly. yeah. and shake his yeah, hand yeah. and not wear a coat and all this kind of macho yeah, bullshit. Do the, do the macho bullshit. Exactly. That's where that's where I was going with yeah. those thoughts. It's like, yeah, I, totally. Really, I don't care. And, like, and, and the show takes it in a way where it's a, a, like the final shot is him wheeling himself into the press to talk about his MS issue and the fact that he's in a wheelchair now. And like... Rather than let his body man wheel him, the show tries to make it a point of po- uh, a point of pride that he's like, no, no, I'll wheel myself. Like it, like it's this like big awesome moment of power, or 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 at least like him reclaiming Robust. some dig- reclaiming yeah, like some dignity or something. But like you're the president, you have like a body man. Let him push you, fucking twenty <laughs> feet. Like yeah. you're the pr- you're the goddamn president. <laughs> Well, I also think it when I when I'm going galaxy brain on this stuff, there's a certain degree of like weird power dynamic here where you're trying to make him out to be this ultimate like figurehead god king or whatever, dad. but you're also yeah, you're also sort of just like denying his own agency and digging so so hard in on that Protestant work ethic that you just mentioned where it's just like, well, He's either a, a person or a figurehead. Like, he, I doing this makes it difficult for him to be both. Right. In, in the show here. Right, because like, they're trying to have, like, a, a, a personal moment of pride of, like, no, I can wheel myself. But, like, he's also the figurehead of the nation and probably should be wheeled around by his aide, of which he has many. Yeah, or, like, curated in some fashion. Like, given some sort of, I don't know, it's just a little... It's it's very yeah I don't know it's very exceptionalism. Of, I think you nailed it. They're time. they're trying to mix this like personal pride moment of like oh struggling against adversity, but it doesn't work for the fucking president who who is like babied yeah, really. yeah. more than any man in America is babied. You know who has every whim handled for him. Yeah, you brought it back around to me. Where it's just kind of embarrassing to be like, oh well, I'm going to do this myself, even though. You are the most. You have the most resources possible available right. to you. Right. Fuck Even you. though, yeah, Go, you're the fix you, yourself, motherfucker. You, you are the kind of guy who the Egyptians had slaves to carry around in a in a thing. You <laughs> yeah. know, like you can tell your body man to push a wheeled chair. You're not like a slave driver <laughs> for doing that. 
Yeah, and, you know, again, millions and millions and millions of Americans don't have a body man. Right. <laughs> much much less a whole army of aides and, and different departments. Free, free health care. To, to, yeah. to do your entire bidding for you. Yeah, it just feels weird. But uh, the, the show will go more into this in the next episode when they actually get to China and he has to struggle with his health even more. Uh, and, and they'll talk about the political implications of that. So we'll... Excuse me. We'll get more into that in the next episode. Any final thoughts on this one? Well, yeah, I mean, I want to I do want to mention the note that you took. It says there's a line that they're like, good thing Penn and Teller didn't try burning this flag in Tiananmen Square. What with the Chinese flag and the Chinese Bill of Rights? Because there is no Chinese Bill of Rights. I forget. Like, who, I forget who said that right. line. It might have been Josh or Toby. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. it sounds like a Toby. It does sound like a Toby <laughs> line. <laughs> but yeah, and, it's like. Christ show. <laughs> well, and also, it. I do want to note that Penn and Teller, post their big magic days, have gone down like the libertarian right wing crank. Oh yeah. Road. I while I was researching this, so Teller, who goes by just one name and doesn't talk, um, he is an H. L. Mencken fellow at the Cato Institute. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> he's he's a stage magician who is now has basically a sinecure for the rest of his life at the fucking at Cato one Institute. of the yeah at like the premier libertarian Koch brothers think tank. Awesome, and uh, and Penn has his weird like sex dungeon house in the middle of the Las Vegas desert. So <laughs> yes. they're they're quite the yes. duo. <laughs> I forgot about the weird sex. Oh, I could never forget He's... about that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there we we raised some special people in this country. Hey, um, land of the free, home of the brave. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that pretty much does it. Uh, this was, overall, I'll actually say this was a good episode. As I said, there's a couple scenes in there that actually seem like Sorkin could have written them. Uh, and the stuff with Penn and Teller pops in a really good way and is topical yep. and, and political. And, like, we don't see much sausage making happen in this episode, per se, but we get a lot of pieces being put in place, like Vinick, like China, and, and Bartlett's MS and stuff. All, all pieces being put in place for future developments. So the writers are getting their house in order, as it were. It's nice to see. Yeah. So, um, pretty good. Anyway, so thanks as always for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you've, we'd love to see your comments in either one of our threads on SA or BNR. Uh, if you found the show a different way, hi, welcome. And you can email the show if you'd like at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back sometime soon to discuss the next episode of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on.